warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. It's the Real Britannia podcast, a very British podcast about very British movies, with just a hint of professionalism. <laughs> Stephen's laughing already, as they say in the boxing world, my friend. Seconds out, round two. This is the third time, lucky though, isn't it? Oh, dear listener, I think podcasters will feel my pain more than the general public and the, and the average listener, but it was the podcaster's nightmare, wasn't it, mate? It's the only way I can describe what happened two weeks ago. Well, firstly, we were trying to do this with somebody else. Tony was meant to be joining us originally, and, and unfortunately he couldn't. Mm. Um, so we postponed. And then, yes, you had a tale to tell. Uh, <laughs> As always. <laughs> if um, uh, you've been scuppered, no fault of your own, absolutely must be um, acknowledged that was, you know, you've done wonders turning the situation around, oh. but... Yeah, quite unfortunately, and, and sort of ended up out of pocket in the in the same time. But basically, dear listener, ten minutes before Stephen and I were due to record this episode two weeks ago, the laptop I can only say died completely yeah. died. So I frantically rang Stephen, and we, and we sort of said, "Okay, well that's not a problem. You know, we can we can do this at another time." But <laughs> had nothing to record it on. You know, I wasn't worried, mate, that we'd postponed the recording. Sounds listener. <laughs> They'd be fine. We do this for us. Thanks for listening. Well, in my mind, I had seven or eight episodes on the back burner ready to edit. But of course, the computers died and they're all on <laughs> Uh, to, be, to give you some idea of where we are, dear listener, this is the end of April. Uh, Last Holiday has just been released yesterday. But at the time of this recording, anything from, oh, I would say round about January that we recorded, which includes Two Hammers, If, Guns and Averone, all of that stuff, was completely lost. Yeah, I mean, I re- edited one of the recent episodes and we were... We were mockingly you know saying it's merry christmas and and then saying <laughs> oh well by the time it comes out it might be happy easter ha 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 yeah. uh, which it was so yeah we you know backlog we've got a bit behind but that does mean there's a lot of episodes on the hard drive waiting to be done and released and um so the risk was very palpable really yeah well luckily as you say the hard drive i managed to salvage and it's sitting in a dock now but we had a casualty. We had a casualty. I managed to rescue everything. Mm. Um, yeah, it didn't really go well, did it? it that, exactly. When the day well did not go well, because that has gone to the same it's resting well, place. Well gone. Yeah, yeah. thank you. It's, it's gone to the same resting place as the episode of The Blue Lamp. They've just disappeared. We're going to have a trilogy at some point, aren't we? <laughs> the Lost, the lost Trilogy. Yeah. So... Stephen and I have got to re-record when the day well at some point. And the only reason we're going to do that is because I don't want to bugger up Stephen's 
Herculean efforts with the Village Hall of Fame. So, yes, enough of that boring podcast talk. (laughs) It it just very, very nearly didn't happen, this whole thing, dear listener. So um, what we're doing today, it's my choice. And usually I I would have thought you would have picked this one, but I, I sort of jumped in. Yes. Uh, with the next Mike Lee, because it is my favourite Mike Lee. But watching it this time... Strange, because it's not his, it's his least favourite. It's his, his least favourite, yeah. And also, I've seen this so many times, I haven't seen it for a while. The shine has come off it a little bit. I'm going to talk to you about it. I'm, I'm not going to say it's not necessarily still my favourite or not my favourite Mike Lee, because there's stuff that I haven't seen of Mike Lee yet as well. But yeah, it, it just became... There's, there's a couple of flaws in it, shall we say, that I picked up on. Um, but it's nothing major, absolutely nothing to worry about. Let's take a break. We'll play the trailer, and it's Life is Sweet, Mike Lee, 1990. Hello. Hi. Hello, Nat. Hello, Patsy. Hello, Wendy. Hi, Natalie. It's Nicola. Hello, Aubrey. Hello, Wendy. What are you doing here? I bought you a pineapple. Do you want a little sandwich, Nat? Yeah. Do you want a pickle? Get out there this afternoon, finish off that patio. Just got to get the rest of the timber, that's all. Oh, Wayne, you've been saying that for two years. Well, I'll go out the bathroom then, finish off my tiling. Yeah, could do. Really? Hang on, hang on. What? Ain't got no growl. My little Natalie, my little Nicola. <laughs> Twins. Capitalist. Sentimentalist. Racist. Oh, I'm a feminist. You're such lovely little dolly, what's this? I put my hands down toilets. And on a good day, I might get bitten by a rat. Oh, hey, Auntie, do you remember this? Mold. Mold with brats. No, no regret me on. Tell you want to watch out for Aubrey in that kitchen. Come up behind you with a cucumber. <laughs> You're a really attractive girl, you know? No, I'm not. You look fantastic, do you know that, Wendy? Great knees. Decent knees. I've been trying to get them all the same length, but uh, I keep forgetting to blow them out, you know, and I uh, have to start all over again. I've been through 12 boxes this week. <laughs> Sold to the man with a beard. <laughs> She loves it, Patsy. Have you bought it? Yeah. You've had enough lager for tonight. Right, blooming lager. Now get out the stairs. Leave your trousers on, Aubrey. Get in that toilet and do a week. Great bed. Orthopedic, you know. Orthopedic. 500 quid. 200 pounds. Oh, careful, Orbit. That's the trailer there for Life is Sweet, released in the UK 1990, directed, as we say, by Mike Lee. Fantastic cast list here, mate. We've got Jim Broadbent, Alison Steadman, Claire Skinner, Jane Horrocks, Timothy Spall, David Fulis, Stephen Ray are your main players here. The synopsis, just north of London, live Wendy, Andy and their 20-something twins, Natalie and Nicola. Wendy clerks in a shop, leads aerobics at a primary school, jokes like a vaudevillian, agrees to waitress at a friend's new restaurant and dotes on Andy, a cook who forever puts off home remodelling projects 
and with a drunken friend buys a broken down lunch wagon. Natalie, with short neat hair and a snappy droll manner, is a plumber. She has a holiday planned in America, but little else. Last is Nicola, odd man out. A snarl, big glasses, cigarette, must hair, jittery fingers, bulimic, jobless and unhappy. How they interact and play out family conflict and love is the film's subject. I don't know who wrote that, but that sounds very American. Uh, Yes. (laughs) My history with this, I saw it when it first came out, early 90s. Watched it many, many times since, mate. I remember there was a big hype around Mike Lee at the time of this because the film won. It wasn't the Palm Door, was it? It won some major award. Might have been BAFTA, the the best BAFTA. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. Um, I was working at the video shop at the time. Um, after watching this, I went back and sort of rewatched Abigail's Party and Nuts in May because there wasn't a lot of Mike Lee. When you think about it, there's only you know High Hopes and a couple of the other TV things before this, really. Yeah, at this point, yeah, yeah. But to date, as I said like earlier, I haven't really seen many more. I've I've seen Vera Drake. I saw Naked when it came out, because that's the next one, I believe. Uh, yeah. Went to the cinema to see Mr. Turner. Y- you know, the big one missing off my list, I would say, is Secrets and Lies, which for many people is oh, right. is the big one. Yeah. Um, so I've really got to make an effort. Am I right in saying it's sort of like the complete opposite for you? You've seen pretty much all of Lee's output several, many times. Um, Up until the most recent stuff, yeah. yeah. Um, that's um not... Kind of um, not kept up just because of, of life getting in the way, but um, otherwise, yeah, this and naked particularly, but um, you know, secrets, lies, and stuff. Uh, yeah, I've seen them several times. Um, I mean, naked especially. I've seen seen that into the double figures. The only thing is, it's difficult to a lot of the time when you've got the box sets of Mike Lee that wasn't included up to a point, and and obviously when you look it up on the internet, you get some strange results. <laughs> Did Mike Lee ever pose for Playgirl then? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? This is it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like like I've like I've joked before, if you if you mistype when you're looking up Gary Oldman, um yeah, you end up getting a, a different Ooh, set yeah, of results. You have to be careful. <laughs> So I didn't see uh, Life is Sweet immediately. I think it was took me a while to catch on. I think it was when it came out on DVD or VHS it would be oh, at the time. Right. Um, two or three years you know, afterwards, that's yeah. when I, I, I picked up on it. And then that was, again, like yourself, I kind of then had a bit of a retrospective of what you'd done before. And then mm. I kept up up until recently with what, um, what you'd done. And you know, certainly I think you've got some, some good things to come. Um, with the ones that you, you haven't seen, but um, but no, this is that doesn't mean that we're in any way denigrating um this one. Um, it certainly is a, a a decent film, but we'll go on to discuss that. We think it's a decent film. Mr. Lee doesn't, does he? It's his least favorite of his own work. Does he, does he say why? Um, no, I, d- I don't think I've ever seen why. Mm. Um, and you know, I suppose that there has to be one of his films has to be his least favorite if he's <laughs> not good to his head. Yeah. So, but it's strange. I think this is the one um, that brought him into the mainstream a little more. You know, he certainly grabbed my attention and everybody that was around me, you know, working in the video store and stuff like that. It was it was, it was, was a movie that all of us watched and loved. Um, yeah. And, and then we all sort of went back and watched Abigail's part, and Nuts in May in particular, you know, vague memories of that as a child and, and a few repeats on the TV. But to actually go back and watch it, watch both of those again, th- we, we thought the man was a genius, you know, at the time. And he still is, you know. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's worth. I know we mentioned it previously with um, High Hopes, but mm. um, his unique way of actually creating a film with having a, only a very 
basic idea of the of a storyline and sort of workshopping the characters and the dialogue and you know fleshing it out through using the actors to inhabit the roles and and bring their creativity to it in in that way you know it's part of the reason why they, he uses certain actors again and again Timothy Spall for example um and Alison Stedman but um there's definitely a, a a different way of going about things as a creative force and a, a creative process to most other films that have got everything laid out from from the door i mean the hitchcock way in which everything is storyboarded and detailed to death before it's even started to the point where he's lost interest by the time he's recording mike lee has never seen a storyboard in his life mate surely <laughs> <laughs> no not unless he was reading the beano no no i mean that synopsis that i read out that that makes it sound like there is some massive plot to this movie and it's it's a fly on the wall basically yes. of an average north london family that have got certain issues going on but i don't think there's any more issues going on in this family than 90% of every other typical family in the country you know it's it's day to day life it's 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 the struggle to you know not necessarily make ends meet but you know you, the money plays an important part in the story of this you know they they're fairly comfortable they brought up their kids reasonably well in a nice house and all this like you know and it just seemed to be almost like like what EastEnders was aiming to be. It's it's a it's a grittier version of a, a day-to-day story of an average family. And a funnier version. Um, <laughs> Definitely but, funnier, yeah. <laughs> you, you're right, though, that in the the way that the, the plot is done, there's a lot of, I think, attention from certain people who wouldn't really take to it because the, there isn't a conclusion. Hmm. There's various plot points almost if you're going to call them that plot points that are dropped in that are just not then revisited uh, and not concluded so that would probably put some people off really being able to engage with the the film they'd get to the end and not be thinking well is there a sequel to wrap it up or whatever and i don't think that is necessary because that's not what mike lee is doing it's not what you watch a a mike lee film for it Hmm. usually is there's not a conclusion there's open-endedness and you just create your own you know next part of what happens to each of the characters you're right which, there because which I, I like mm, yeah you, you're right because traditional filmmaking techniques are thrown out the window here there's no beginning middle or end i'm pretty much sure there's no sort of like three acts to this you know normally a movie would have three acts there's no because there's no conclusion to what's been sort of revealed throughout the 90 minutes is there this is not part of your, your, your classic film analysis where you can go through and break things up into beginning middle and end and that they are scene setting um, expansion conclusion and, and etc it's just doesn't happen here good way uh, to describe it's... it you imagine if you imagine this was a fly on the wall documentary about this family okay bbc tour had commissioned this you know we're gonna we're gonna film your your family's goings on over 12 months and this would be like episode three of that whole series or something you know it's just yeah. a, a snapshot of like june and july or something isn't it let's go into a bit more depth because the main part of this, because there is no plot, no storyline to speak of, is the characters are the forefront to this. And as you said, Mike Lee will always go back to people he trusts, people he knows he can work with. Uh, Alison Stedman in particular, I think, is he still married to her at this point? I'm not too sure. But he's got, you know, this... this <laughs> Almost sort of like core group of people that he turns back to, you know, again and again because we'll see Jim Broadbent in Topsy Turvy and Alison Stebbin in a few more other, you know. So 
but what he's also done with this one he's he's got a couple of unknowns because it's it's hard to remember when Jane Horrocks was an unknown. Did a th- David Fugis as well. He obviously a, a lot more acclaimed now, mm. and he apparently wasn't best pleased, or at least was a bit disgruntled about the fact that his part wasn't more substantial in it, which is why Mike Lee, recognising the talent that he was, promised him a bigger part in the next mm. film that he did, and then yeah. basically put him as the lead. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, went from so, one to the other. Um, exactly, yeah, went to the other extreme, but certainly you know that you know Timothy Spall as well as David Thewlis and, and Alison Steadman uh, have reappeared in. You can tell that there's just a, a chemistry as far as working from the director and, and these uh, actors who I think enjoy being part of the process in the fact that they're basically building the characters, not just being told what to do and to, to say certain lines and do it in a certain way, which is basically what acting a lot is. Mm. You, you're actually been involved in creating who the character is and their backstory and even their lines. Yeah. which is very unconventional. Um, I feel it works in the case of Mike Lee because he's got the sensibilities to make it work, but uh, I don't know if it would work in some other director's hands. But, um, yeah. no, the face is it's, it's seeing people that, you know, even Claire Skinner, I mean, obviously she went on to other things, particularly on, on television. Mm-hmm. This is where she had her um, pretty much her start as well. And we've seen... Jim Broadbent in any number of things cool. before and after this, but you know, he's a great character actor. Look, I can see why he goes back to these character actors, as you say, because once, as you say, the, the actors have got comfortable with Mike Lee's method of working, I can imagine that that must be something quite rewarding for them as well as actors yeah. to have that sort of challenge rather than a director that says, no, this is the script, we're going to do it this way. You don't have any say, please don't change any of the lines, you know, and it's, it's laid out in black and white. Um, must be quite refreshing to have some sort of improvisational sort of method to what they're doing and a bit of a free reign in, in fact isn't it because that's that's what we discussed in it's, it's evident really in high hopes and some of the other stuff we saw isn't it that most of that stuff was improvised and it brings the question of how much that does positively impact the way in which the characters are portrayed because mm. of uh, the actors getting that in deep in what they're saying it, they more believe in in a way because they're they are coming up with the lines themselves they're they're getting to, a bit more to the core of the characters rather than just being parrots for a script like you said yeah so yeah. it definitely uh, brings a quality which is is relatively unseen anywhere else i'm, I'm sure there must be some other director that somewhere that's, that either has done this before mike lee or done it it since but um yeah. certainly he's the most uh, well-known proponent of it in, in my mind yeah exactly it's not completely unknown, is it? But it still fascinates me that, you know, some somebody can go into a, a studio or a set or whatever with, with almost no script and just be told, right, today you're going to be here and you're going to be talking to this person and this is what is going on around you. Come up with the dialogue. And it works. It absolutely works. It's, it's billed as a comedy, but there's some real dark stuff to this. Um, it's it roller coasters, yeah. really. Mm. Um, but then again, it does what British people are kind of proud of being, where they see humour in, in darkness or use humour to try and alleviate some dark things. And that's, I think, exhibited here. 
Well, the darkest part for me is dear old Jane Horrocks and, and the bulimia strands yeah. to the plot. It's it's almost quite jarring because we've been chuckling away for like an hour or so, and we know she's got problems. You know, it's it's referenced throughout the film that Claire Skinner would say, "Look, I heard you last night," or whatever. And um, it's it's a tough watch when you see her forcing like bars of chocolate into her mouth with headphones on, crying as she's like making herself eat this chocolate and then you see her being sick in a carrier bag because it's almost sort of unexpected in a way you know that you know she is a very troubled child that's evident yeah. from from scene one but you don't know why you're not you're not too sure why <laughs> it's the throwing up scene after the sex scene with the chocolate dear, dear listener please watch this movie if you haven't by the way <laughs> There's a comment I never thought I'd ever say before a question. Um. No, no. I mean, last time you asked me that was, um, anyway, I'm trying to remember what I think it's. The sex scene's before, isn't it? I think the sex scene is before. Let me just correctly, but for you know a sex scene for what it is worth as a sex scene, Mm. it involves chocolate basically. It it doesn't involve involve (laughs) chocolate, but and and a scarf, but yeah, I mean that it is showing all you know showing it all in a different light with regards to her the facets of her personality. She's not a one-dimensional character in the sense of the bulimia just being portrayed in one way. That there's a bit more to it in the sense that her relationship with food is more complicated. Yeah, and and the thing that makes it really sort of like understandable what she's sort of going through is the fact that she has a twin sister in Claire Skinner, and Claire Skinner mm. is very grounded. She's got a a job. It's all right. She's, she's, I don't know if she's a lesbian. But she's certainly a tomboy. She's very masculine in this, and she's got like a man's job, or typically what's perceived as a man's job. And you see the difference between them. That Claire Skinner has got plans. She's got a future in mind. She knows what she wants to do with regard to like she's going to go to America and. She she actually fine tunes it to you know the three cities that she's going to visit while she's out there. Whereas Jane Horrocks just hasn't got anything, or in her mind she hasn't got anything going on. There's no future for her. She's not working. She's stuck at home all day. She's like agoraphobic. She's a chain smoker. She's got this eating disorder. And then you've got her sister, exactly the same age, who seems to be going places and making a thing of her life. Yeah, there is the unexamined thread with regards to the the sort of sexual identity mm. um, of Claire Skinner's character. And, I mean, whether the... I mean, at one point she's talking about the possibility of having kids in the future, but then on the other side she's not seemingly in any way phased by the fact that one of the customers kept re- referring to her as, as a boy. Yes, yeah. And she just brushes over her. And how much of that is that she's just grounded and just practical and not interested in... In anything else, but you know, she just likes wearing men's shirts or, or whatever. Yeah. But there is a, di- a, a diametric difference between the two with Jane Horrocks' character being in the pursuit of the next pack of fags. It's a, a main thing, and anybody who walked by her a pack of fags is, is a fascist or a misogynist. But then, the, you know, the, the balance between the two and the, the different characters, I think, uh, you know, unfortunately, I think the Clash Kinnis character doesn't get really the, doesn't exploit the different facets of the character as much as the do with the Jane Horrocks one, which is maybe a little bit of a letdown in this film that could have been a, a little bit more done. But then again, you know, the peculiarities of characters is definitely um, made up for when we encounter a friend of the family. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come on to him in two seconds. I just wanted to say, like, the relationship between the twins is quite touching, actually. You know, 
initially you get this element of conflict because they are both so different. You know, you, you, you think that they're sort of at each other's throats because they're doing completely different things with their lives. But then again, because they're twins, there's this real bond. You get this feeling that there's an understanding that's almost telepathic that twins seem to have, you know. And you get the impression that despite their differences and the completely different paths that their lives are taking, there's a genuine love and a genuine sort of like bond between them. Yeah, and that comes out later on um, when they sat outside the shed toward, you know, mm. towards the end, that there is that. I think you get to realise that partway through, that on one side, the Jane Horrocks character sister is, to some extent, jealous of being able to be part of, of normality that Claire Skinner's character is doing. Yeah. Uh, and Claire Skinner character is, she, you know, she doesn't hate her sister or anything like that. She's... She feels for her and she's she keeps trying to encourage her, um, you know, to just, you know, let her guard down and, and yeah, exactly. she can re- she can recognise it's a front. She, she, you know, feels sorry for her and wants to stop her from being self-destructive yeah. because she does love her. Yeah. And I think that's the balance of it all, really. They're both probably maybe as twins. There's a, a there is that extra connection and and they understand each other better than anybody else does, but that does also make things uh, maybe a bit too close for comfort for the Jane Horrocks character at times when she does know that somebody else understands her and she wants to pretend that isn't the truth of the matter, exactly. especially when it comes to the eating disorder. Yeah, yeah, she keeps that very hidden, but yeah, people know what's going on. Even even Alison Steadman knows. You mentioned friend of the family. <laughs> There's two. What one do you want to talk about first? <laughs> um, well, we'll we'll talk. Uh, we'll we'll leave we'll leave the restaurateur okay. um, until last, and we'll we'll deal with the um, the Ray. wheeler dealer. Stephen um, Ray, yes, deal, not so much wheels as as a shed on, on oh, wheel. Dear Lord, um, I've known several families that have a Stephen Ray as an addition to them. Um, you know the sort of thing. You know, Dad's best mate, or or not even necessarily a best mate. He's a, he's a pub mate. You know, somebody that yeah, yeah. In the pub. you only ever usually see him at the pub, no other social situation, you know. And, and he's always up to something. He's always like wheeling and dealing, as you say. And there's some little get-rich-quick scheme um, up his sleeve. And, and that's Steve and Ray all over because... And he's, they've always got a mother or a brother or a cousin. <laughs> that can get something uh, or know something. That can get something or... <laughs> To get, you know, like in this, the repeated thing is whenever he needs to disappear quickly, it's like, oh no, I've got, he's got to go visit his old mum. His old mum, got to go visit my old mum. Yeah. Which, um, then the, I mean, I do recognise that as an Irishman, he's he's doing a a, a, a London <laughs> accent, and it, it comes across a little bit caricature, but I think it it just stays on the right side of the line, thankfully. I think this um, one does. Yeah, this this one is not as caricatured as as when we get to talk about. Timothy Spall, but the storyline or this particular storyline is, is Jim Broadbent, as, as we've heard is, is a cook, works in a big sort of restaurant or possibly a hotel or something like that, we're not too sure exactly what this restaurant is that he works in, but it's a big, a big affair but Stephen Ray has <laughs> managed to obtain it's, it's described as a snack wagon it's <laughs> It's a it, it's a grotty old caravan covered in grease and grime and God knows what. And and you'd think that when he shows it to Jim Broadbent, Jim Broadbent's just going to go, no, no, what are you having a laugh, mate? What on earth? No, keep, keep that. Well, he no. does. Well, he does. He straight away is going nowhere. But he doesn't and, take you know, long it, for it to change. And, and, and then he's, he's soon 
he's yeah, he's he's manipulated very quickly um, with it, which shows shows that the you know Jim Broadbent's character Andy showing him as being just a genuine nice guy and wants to believe the best in people and do the best for people, and that's why he's easy manipulated and suddenly gets sucked in very quickly to this absolutely appalling idea. <laughs> and the thing is, as well, even though Alison Steadman does protest it's not a massive great sort of like feeling of anti you know towards what's going on it's just like oh andy what have you done sort of thing it's not a major thing it's, it's you get the impression that he's, he's been down this road before with Alison Steadman and Claire Skinner's characters mm. basically watching him out the window and just going, you know, basically looking on, on him like a child yeah. and going, oh, if it keeps him happy, though. That's exactly you know. what I was going to say. As long as he's happy, let him get on with it. it it's, it's a phase. He may get over it in a while. You know, we've, we've seen this before. One of Dad's little, you know, trying to get away from the rat race of that job that he's not particularly enjoying, you know, and, and making his own way in life. Just let him get on with it. He'll soon, he'll soon get over it. Um, it's incredible and this is the bit that we were saying at the beginning that there is no plot but there's these little vignettes and these little sub stories that then don't have anything to do with what else is going on that that is sort of resolved in a 20 minute sequence and it has no effect on you know where the story goes you know there's no conclusion that you know there's a grand opening of the caravan and the stack wagon and you know it's all a major success we don't know as you said there, there's a sequel out there somewhere where we yeah, get and the story you know, of what's the, going on. the whole thing is raised about you know him getting beaten up on a pitch if he, you know because it's quite a ruthless thing and yeah. can that that world be because of the money that can be earned, but he's got an idealised dream of what it could be and the reality. Thankfully, it won't ever come to him getting beaten up for taking somebody else's pitch because he won't ever get that far. No. He's kind of, you know, we know that. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's just going to tinker in it and leave it half done, just like the patio. <laughs> that's that's the other thing, yeah. Yeah, the patio's never finished. and It just goes down to his shed. Again, I've known a thousand blokes like that, you know, just going down to the shed, never getting anything done, tinkering. I'm turning into Jim Broadbent, mate. You know, it's, it's <laughs> I'm at that stage in my life. I do a lot of pottering. That's, that's a word. You know. <laughs> You've got a guitar with no strings and no neck. <laughs> there is one in the cellar. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It's, it's got three strings and I don't know where I got it from. I've got no idea. <laughs> oh, imagine the blues song as you can write on a three-string guitar. That would be so funny. Yeah. That would be so funny. My, my, woman, my, my woman took my dog and took my strings. Do, 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 yeah. Do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but you just do, do, do. And every time I go down the yeah. cellar, it's like, I should, I should really throw that away. And it's like, no, I, I might, I might pick that up one day you know they never do never it's been down there 20 years um <laughs> friends of the family we, we've got to talk about timothy spall now as i sort of hinted at at the beginning there was a on this watch there was a couple of bits that it didn't necessarily take the shine off but it was a bit more obvious that timothy spall's character is more of a caricature than a character um but i'm not taking anything away from it it's a fantastic hilarious performance um it, it just became a bit more obvious that he's a bit cartoon like in this from the very moment we see him at the beginning all the I way agree. through just randomly turning up at the door of a pineapple wearing clothes that a 12 year old kid would wear and just this air of i don't know what what sort of attitude has he got you know he's all very confident and like you know okay i've got, got a pineapple you know and all this sort of stuff it, it's just it's, it's not brash is it i'm trying to work out how to describe to people that haven't seen this how would you describe timothy's ball to people that haven't seen this 
he's overly keen mm. on 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 life in a way. He's in, embracing a dream without any clue about what he's doing. It's almost like that there is some misfire in his brain yes. where, you know, particularly with the whole aspect of the fact that he has this restaurant that he's opening up and, uh, you know, okay, there's various things he hasn't done, which is like advertise it, which is not particularly <laughs> successful or, or make sure he does have waitresses. Yep. But one of the things he has put effort into is creating quite a unique menu. It's, it's unique is the word, yes. Uh, of of items that you know don't really go together, uh, and you wouldn't find anywhere else in any uh, other restaurant ever. And so he's got his own vision or his own view of the world, and it's all all very much skewed. He's got his own false confidence that he's putting forward in a way but it's not all false because of the idea that he's got his own view of the world but you can see he's you know he's got a a a nervousness about him and there are some issues obviously previously it seems with parents or whatever but he's opening up a edith pf tribute (laughs) restaurant which has got monkey heads on the wall uh and things like that uh which it gets frustrated with and, and it um, didn't necessarily go all that well, but you know, he has his mad incident on the drum kit and things like that. And yeah, the um, drum kit. And um, if anybody, again, if they haven't seen this, the scene where he falls off the bed <laughs> I, and then finds a cap, you know, tries to recover, we're going, Oh, I thought I'd lost that. I thought I'd lost that. And I'd, I had to rewind that. I watched it three times because I just kept laughing. It just still funny. Just the the only bit of sort of physical knockabout comedy in this movie, and it's hilarious. Him just falling off the bed and his relationship with his kitchen assistant waitress slash sous chef. Yeah. Who does, does she actually speak? She does, doesn't she? A she little. does, yeah. And because it's particularly in in the fact that when he doesn't necessarily uh, make it through the opening night in the way that he, he intended, she's there wanting to go for chips with him. Um, and what we what we dropped off at the at the bus stop. In my mind, it was quite amusing that because of knowing how these films are developed, mm. imagining that um, the number of iterations they went through. Um, Alison Steadman and and uh, I can't remember her name. The the actress um, Maya Brady isn't it? Mm. Them two going through that, and you know whether Timothy Spall was just there, just laid out <laughs> while they were going through various rehearsals of that again and again and again, sort of workshopping it while he was just laid on the floor. Can you imagine that? Um, just hilarious. But, um, but yeah, there's a there's a mania to the character uh, of Timothy Spall, and I think you know he, he dips and drops. And, and lifts up and suddenly has these manic episodes and then it, it, it quiets down and including just sort of just telling telling Alison Stedman's character she can have a thousand pounds a month thousand pounds a week if she wants and all this kind of stuff and you got to wonder where he's coming from financially as far as being able, you know whether he's got an inheritance that he's blowing That's or what, what the situation thought, is yeah. Because I can't but imagine it, he'd have made money any other way. No, know. but then it's not exploited again. It's because we don't get a before and we don't get an after. No. It's just a snapshot. Um, we don't find out. But it, it, unfortunately, yes, it that what does stray over into being caricature a little bit. Unfortunately, fantastically performed. Brilliant. But it, brilliant. it does mm. it does pull out a little bit from the rest of the the film in that way because the the other bits. Although there's comedy and, and some character to what goes on, it certainly doesn't, doesn't go so far 
Uh, maybe that's where Mike Lee felt he'd, he'd over-egged the pudding yeah. or, or or whatever Timothy Spall's character would have used instead of an egg. Um, <laughs> Marmite or something, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's that kind of thing. But it still, as a if you watch it on its own, yeah. that actually, as you said, is fantastically acted and, and the, the dialogue and stuff. That, if it was taken out of, it was just a, a scene that was on YouTube that was an outtake or was just something that was there in its own stead, you would find it absolutely fantastic to watch. It just slightly doesn't fit with the rest yeah. of the film, unfortunately. Yeah, but at the same time, you do sort of accept it because... Yeah. You know, Alison Steadman, Jim Broadbent, the fan, they accept him. You know, it's it's just it, it it just appears out of nowhere. It's just this random character, and you wonder what on earth, what path this is going to lead you down. Because as I say, he turns up in a sports car wearing like a satiny silk tracksuit, almost with a baseball cap at a jaunty angle, and these like sunglasses, holding a pineapple. It's, yeah. it's just random, but you go with it and. <laughs> You know, within the next five minutes, he's there tapping out Je ne regret rien on his knees, you know. And <laughs> again, if that was unscripted, that is a bit of genius, as as I said before, you know, that that is one of the funniest scenes in the film because it just goes on. And, and I think Timothy Spall has, has got great comic sensibilities and also, obviously, when he's in the, the, the restaurant with Alison Steadman, she obviously does have as well. Yes. And that's been proven again and again, so... It works in itself. It just maybe doesn't quite fit with the rest of the film. No. But um, certainly, if you can put aside that, it's a fantastic sort of scene making. I would, you know, possibly the the second best um, scene in in the film. But mm. it does show, you know, a certain range that there is with with Timothy Spall, who might be seen in, in a different light by some other people in more recent times with his, the, the roles that he's had. Yeah. Um, yeah he, he is, you know, obviously, now. this is early in his career and he's a fantastic actor. Yeah. Definitely. And um, needs to be recognised that. Absolutely. But this is, yeah. is, is just hilarious, really, as, as a character. The, the only character we haven't talked about in any sort of real real depth is Alison Steadman. I was going to just sort of point out, I've only recently started watching Gavin and Stacey. I sort of missed it when it first came round. Never seen it before, so late last year. I've still got the last season to go, you know. Um, so this was my first viewing of Life is Sweet since watching Alison Steadman's performance in Gavin and Stacey. And the thing that sort of struck me this time around is how similar the two characters are. Have you seen Gavin and Stacey? I tried watching it, and oh. unfortunately I do very much like, like Ruth Jones and... Mm. and and etc. But um, James Corden, I have a real difficulty with. So unfortunately, I couldn't really. Um, it, he spoiled it for me, unfortunately, in, in a way which is you know a bit of a weird thing considering he was one of the co-writers. So um, no, I have I haven't seen it, but I saw enough of it to get what you're saying get about no her. Which is not to say that she hasn't got a range, because she definitely does. No, well, what I was um, going to say... But she's maybe just re- re- revisiting, a, a, or maybe got that role based upon, you know, being yeah. this character and almost like it's this character further down the line at a later age. There we go. Well, what I was going to say, because I've been, if, if you haven't seen Gavin and Stacey in any great degree, you can't, can't really ask you to comment too much. 
but the character she portrays in Gavin and Stacey could almost be Wendy if she had married into a relationship where the husband was a lot richer and a bit more successful and she didn't have to go out to work and do the aerobics and all that stuff with the kids and all that lot. It's, it's, it's very similar. You, you could imagine that it's Wendy in a parallel universe, almost. You know, and it's yeah. and like you say, it's not saying that she's a one-trick pony. Just two marvelous performances from. Do you know what I think? We're going to elevate Alison Stedman to national treasure. We haven't got many, have we? No, and this is the thing that there's. Okay, yes, you know, there's the Helen Mirrams and um, for, for this podcast, our our duties and stuff. But there's yeah. you know there's people that should be be up there that are recognised. I mean, it's much. She's more in the the Julie Walters um, level, yeah. where somebody who's come from. A certain background and and does what is very real, but also it, it can be very funny and and touch a, a certain note that other actresses can't. I think we've only sort of nominated two during the life of this podcast for national treasure status. One was Emma Thompson, and the other was Kathy Burke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna include Alison Stedman amongst that little elite group. I think. Well, we'll have to see if we can end up adding some more appearances for her into the podcast. Then that should be easily achieved, mate. There's a few bits and pieces out there we can always turn to. You get this feeling like she loves both her children unconditionally, yeah. as any mother should do, right? You know. But you get this real sense of frustration when it comes to the Jane Horrocks character. You get this, you know, sort of sense of like she's really frustrated because it's. it's not actually written but you you just know she's had years and years of dealing with this behavior and is perhaps feeling that she may have actually failed as a mother and this frustration is not starting to sort of manifest itself as anger not necessarily anger towards claire but angry at herself you get the feeling that she's failed how could she have gone so wrong where you know the claire skinner character perfect child you know doing everything that a mother would expect a child to do why isn't it working for the jane horrocks character you just get that sense no you're right that obviously with parents you any good parent is unfortunately falls into the trap of because they want the best for their children because they can only see the best in their children really as well they end up you know looking at whether they're there to blame for any of the feelings in their children you know she's got the balance out as a as a mother in this film where she can see the job she's done with one has had a different result um and she's i'm sure she'll have treated them both equally all the way through but with different results so and i think her real pain you know she's got she's got a husband who's who's a bit of a div that you know has got the you know this trait where he just gets incomplete on lots of projects but it's just now oh, whatever keeps you happy yes she's working two jobs and all these kind of things all the way through making jokes and and having laughs and all this kind of stuff and the only real darkness in her life is the pain that she feels over the, the jane horrocks character where she it's not she just wants better for her and sees more potential in her yeah. and, and it hurts her seeing that she's not living up to her potential yeah. and and that's the the difference, I think, because the daughter Jane Horrocks' character obviously is intelligent, obviously you know does have qualities to her, but she's just self destructive with it all, and that's the pain I think that the okay Jim Broadbent's character seems to be a bit more I know you know unaware of what's going on around him, but yeah. certainly Claire Skinner's character and Alison Stedman's are, are painfully aware that that Jane Horrocks' character is is suffering. Yes. And for all that they can be frustrated with her from the outside and find her behaviour sometimes antagonistic, they realise that the person who's suffering most is herself from her own behaviour. 
And as a mother, she would absolutely be feeling that. And she, it, it's shown in the in what is my opinion the greatest scene in the film, despite mm-hmm. the great humour and and stuff that happens in the restaurant. Yeah. That confrontation scene that there is with, between Jane Horrocks and um, Alison Steadman is shows both of them why they are such you know incredibly well regarded actresses. Yeah. That that Jane Horrocks could well be elevated at some point to national treasure as well but that is you know genuinely heartfelt and really does tug at the emotions i think because of the the there's the, there's a real rawness to it really because of the way it's actually um delving into what has previously been in the film a kind of antagonism or just things being you know left and that's just how it is that this is actually delving in and, and opening a wound really and that's what what catches you with it i think Absolutely. I mean, there's light and shade throughout this movie and both elements are equally as impressive. And as you say, that particular scene, for those that haven't seen it, it's not comedy all the way through and it genuinely gets to you. It really does wrench at the heartstrings. It does. And I mean, you know, Jane Horrocks, we know, um, has got great range in her possibilities and hopefully we'll be seeing more of her in, in to come in the films that we review. Obviously, yes. we've seen her in plenty of things. We know what she can do, but this is it's still she's relatively new to this podcast. Um, so we, you know, we'll hopefully be seeing more of her um, and, of course, Alison Steddon. Of course. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, while we're talking about the cast, ideal time for you to pick up your keys, my friend, and let's take a walk down the path to the Village Hall of Fame. list sir I don't think it's going to be too much bother (laughs) okay Village Hall of Fame I've just looked at IMDB there's only 11 actors credited on the cast list so I'm going to assume you weren't too troubled this week sir in compiling the facts and the figures for us it was a light one compared to some of the ones that we've had previously where it runs into a cast list of a hundred and there's people making their 17th appearance and there's 12 people been inducted as they're you know having had their third appearance yeah. and etc no completely different Good proposition sure. here so yes as we said this is actually the first time we've had Alison Stedman on her oh. uh, so hopefully we'll see more of her and yep. particularly I think through the Mike Lee films where we can expect to do so so that's quite useful as far as second appearances which obviously we don't normally delve too much into but um, we'll go over those yeah. this time around we've got Jane Horrocks obviously making her second appearance because I was enjoying her taking an absolute star turn in Little Voice Edith PF connection as well just really yeah. yeah exactly so and obviously she absolutely amazing in that with the range that she has so second appearance as well obviously with Mike Lee because of High Hopes so director so at some point obviously he is absolutely going to make a, a third appearance and get into there because we will get there eventually uh, Stephen Ray Mm-hmm. Butcher Boy previously. Oh, cool. Um, he, he was in there playing the the adult version of the of the boy yeah. towards the end of the film, and also um, throughout the film he was narrating yes. 
So, you know, quite useful to have, have him. Uh, Timothy Spall is only making his second appearance. What else was he in, mate? What was the other one? He was in Quadrophenia. Blimey, I completely forgot because he's oh. not a main character, is he? Of course, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. So, and uh, the final person making their second appearance is David Thewlis, who was in Legend. Yes, he was. Yes. Where, yeah, yeah. where you, you had um, Tom Hardy playing one of the, the, the Cray twins, and who was the guy playing the other one? Well, um, we'll have to ask Tony, because Tony's more up on that. <laughs> Dear listener, go back to our episode on Legend to find out what we're referring to. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh. Right, so, and then there's one person making their entry into the Hall of Fame with three appearances. I'm sure you can guess who it is. I'm going to take a guess at Jim Broadbent then. Yes. Okay. So he was obviously um, appeared with Jane Horrocks in uh, The Wonderful Little Voice. Yes. Anecdotally, I've read somewhere a, a while back that when they got first got on the set together, mm-hmm. um, there was something of Jane Cor- Horrocks slipping back into character and calling him a, a fascist or something, <laughs> <laughs> just to, as, as the character as his daughter. Um, but I don't know how true that is. Um, so he was in Little Voice, and then he was also in... Putting you on the spot. No. Uh, um, Time Bandits. He's the father. No, he's, Ta- the, he's no, the game no, show host. He was, he was the game show host, yes. yeah. Yeah. Oh, again, very brief appearance in that movie. Yeah. Wow. So, um, so yes, he, he gets he gets a seat inside the hall now. He managed to get an um, inductee out of 11 cast members. Is anybody there for four appearances at all? Or more? No, no. No, that was it. That was that was the maximum. The rest of them that were in the film, the other ones were, were people who we haven't had um, before. I mean, it's just uh, as, as far as to know Moya Brady we have seen in any number of things as well but mm. she is usually a, a side character so yeah. whether she'll appear in anything else for us I, I don't know although he's unlikely to make really any more appearances David Nielsen would be recognisable um, to some people from his more recent popularity I think is the word mm. um, of playing Roy Cropper on Coronation Street. Oh, um, of course it was, yes, yeah. Um, but you only get a bit of a glimpse of him. He's, he's in the background talking to Claire Skinner character uh, while they're doing some renovation work in a house. You don't really right. get a proper look at him. But um, oh. other than that, the, you know, the others are, are, are not people no. that we we see properly in, in the film. There is Harriet Thorpe, which we've seen in a number of things as far as she's quite a, a, a good character actress, but she's usually... A woman that's talking to somebody in in the fast show, or, or you yes. know things like that. She's yes. so yes, a very small cast, and some you know at least one of them is just somebody who's saying yes, chef, as Jim Broadbent <laughs> walks past before um, his untimely uh, incident that he has. Marvelous. Just going back very quickly, I've just looked at Moya Brady's uh, filmography. We're unlikely to see her until we get to Peter Lou, which is Mike, yeah. Mike Lee's latest, almost recent, from mm. 2018, where she's billed as abusive bystander. So, yeah, maybe a while before we catch up with her, because she's done a lot of TV stuff by the look of it. Interesting. You know, even with a small cast, we managed to get an inductee, and as you said, potentially half of that cast list are going to get inducted at some point, easily. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and not just by uh, Mike Lee's films, which there a number of them will be appearing in that sense. Um, unfortunately, I think Claire Skinner is one of the ones that we probably won't see yeah. again. Cause I'm not sure if she more did television, you know, on yeah. this. But um, the others, David Fulis and Alison Steadman and things, they're definitely going to come in. But then they would again they'll crop up in 
in other things as well, thankfully, because they, they've had quite broad careers. Obviously, David Thielich, we won't get on to the fact that he wasn't in some of the Harry Potters or something like that. Um, <laughs> so we're, we're not going to get around to those, thankfully. But no, I think that, you know, the, the fact is it's a very small cast, but certainly a, a very creditable, creditable and accomplished cast really i mean the the there's not a bad performance out of any of them no, at all no 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 absolutely in in sort of conclusion i'm still going to say it is my favorite mike lee movie because i've still got some of the biggies to go and i've got a funny feeling secrets and lies will probably be my favorite if i go back and rewatch vera drake i i, I loved vera drake when i watched it you know but at the moment, it, it was a good entry point for me as a Mike Lee movie. Would you would you sort of agree that it's probably a good starting point for anybody that hasn't seen any Mike Lee stuff? I would in a way, yeah, because um, if you can get on with this, you could, you'll be able to get on with the rest of his films, I think, because of this one being the one that's perhaps loosest in the sense of a plot, because I think yeah. High Hopes has a bit more of a conventional approach to it, and subsequently the style is a bit more developed. I mean, it's not that this is devoid of, of a kind of plot, and there certainly are, and I felt on more recent watching that there was some stuff that was either intentional or accidental as far as threads that were running through it. I mean, they've got the eating disorder, but then you've got the Aubrey character making food that would make anybody sick. And, you know, you've got the Jim Broadbent character going on all the time about health and safety and then subsequently ends up having an accident at work. So there's a few things like that. But the comedy moments in it, I think, how much of it is... How much of it is brought forward by the the director and, and and a script and how much of it was coming from the actors themselves i think we we know that a lot of it does come from people who are, who are acting and there's there's some throwaway bits in that that i, I think as an entry point if people has the sensibilities to pick up on it mm-hmm. would would tickle people straight away i mean it you know it, it, i'd forgotten about it um until the the recent watch that you know you know the um Stephen Ray character coming into the the living room drunk and he's so <laughs> drunk he's obviously seen double because he's seen one of the twins and saying hello girls <laughs> there's lots of little bits like that which i think are, 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 are just golden yeah. really yeah. but certainly it does require somebody to get over the idea that there is a start, a middle and an end and there won't be any conclusion to plot points that are raised up and it is just a snapshot and you have to just accept that that's all you're getting. You're not getting any elaboration, you're not getting conclusion, you're not getting any resolution. That's it. You just get what you get and and make up your own next part for each of the characters. Give it a go. Give it a go. If you don't like it, fine. You know, but I'm sure for anybody that hasn't seen any Mike Lee's, they will they will take something away from this movie, even if it's only the superb performances and the excellent script. Okay, mate, that's Life is Sweet. Mike Lee, 1990. Let's take a short break, and we're going to be back with what we're watching next time. Okay, what we're watching next time is down to you, my friend. So, having a look down your list of hundreds of choices, because you're still adding to that list, by the way. I am, yes. (laughs) Where are you taking us next time, mate? Well, uh, I'm taking us back to the 1950s, uh, 1956, in fact. Mm -hmm. 
It uh, is uh, a film that's starring our well-known favourite of Jack Hawkins, directed by Charles Friend. A police drama about Scotland Yard trying to solve a series of burglaries. Got an idea. Uh, It is The Long Arm. The Long Arm. Yeah, you've mentioned this before when we did Gideon's Mm. uh, Way. Yes, I wanted to give a bit of distance between the two because on paper they sound a bit similar because they're both Jack Hawkins playing a a, a police detective. Um, This doesn't have the same light touch and and again snapshot of a a day or or bits of comedy in it. This is a, a drama thriller rather than it having in that comedic element to it a bit more bit more straightforward serious drama this Um, i don't know if i've seen it i may be getting it mixed up with gideon's way gideon's day or whatever it was or you know some of the other sort of similar police procedurals at the time i've got a funny feeling i haven't actually oh well that'd be nice just looking on imdb to give me some sort of clue and it's not ringing any bells but there's a bit of trivia here before we even go into the movie it's the last film made at ealing studios oh yes a bit of history i'm looking forward to that it's quite an interesting cast as well you got sam kidd in there Um, yes he makes an appearance and and, uh, john stratton sydney taffler jeffrey Keane, glenn houston ian bannon must be very young in that Absolutely wonderful. And Charles Friend, of course. It's also got Nicholas Parsons in it. Has it? Because he did a lot of straight stuff, didn't he, Nicholas Parsons, before uh, sort of becoming a comedian as a, a foil to Benny Hill and game shows and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, that'd be interesting to see then. So, yes, uh, I think um, I think you will, you will get something out of this. Of course so. I will. I trust you, you know, on every level, my friend. Oh well, um, after um, Man for All Seasons, you maybe shouldn't. That's tr- no, that's forgotten. That's in the dim distant past. Why couldn't it be that one we lost? <laughs> exactly. You never know. I'm still vainly hoping that the blue lamp has. You know, it's, it's probably gone to that place where you know where you lose like a sock, just one sock. <laughs> There's this level of, of hell somewhere where lost podcast episodes and socks go to, mate. I'm sure. <laughs> Stephen, thank you so much for today. Absolutely wonderful, as always. My pleasure. And I will see you in a couple of weeks' time for the long arm. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much. Take care. A positive shower. Bon voyage. Good luck. Thank you.
keeping the British hand up, sir. I'm sick of pains. 